Welcome into the King's Beat podcast with James Ham. I am, of course, your host, and we've got things moving, moving and shaking at the King's Beat on, let's see, what is it, Friday? On Thursday night, uh, we sent out the, the notice that, of course, there's a new, uh, a new place to go find my work as far as reading and podcast. Uh, that's going to be uh, the King's Beat with James Ham. Uh, basically the newsletter. Um, so you can sign up there and make sure to subscribe. If you like the work, you know, paid subscriptions are always welcome and uh, you'll get all kinds of crazy content going forward. Um, but like I mentioned earlier in the week when Sean Cunningham was in, um, we're going to do more podcasts. It's something that I love. It's something that I think the listeners love. And um, so we're going to bump it up to two pods a week. Uh, the early pod in the week will be with Sean Cunningham, uh, where we break down sort of the week that was, the week that's coming up, and some of the things that stand out. But then uh, later in the week, we're going to do something different where we're bringing in guests. And sometimes Sean will join me, but a lot of times it'll be just me uh, with a guest. And there's no better guest to start this off with than the amazing Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, what's going on? Well, not much. Uh, really looking forward to, you know, being on your podcast. Obviously been a fan of yours a long time and uh, having worked with you and certainly think the uh, Kings uh, pre and post game show are much the worse without without you involved and certainly the, your writing skills as well. But, uh, hey, that's some point that's on them. Uh, you know, so so uh, I know things will, will go well for you. And they're really happy to hear you and Sean Cunningham are involved because Sean, he's just one of the best, you know, just simply one of the best guys and very knowledgeable. So can't can't be anything but good going forward for you. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Sean kind of flies under the radar like he, he doesn't do a lot of on air stuff. So I think people not everyone knows Sean, but you've been around this business for a long time. You've been around the Kings forever. I mean, he's covered this team for 20 years. Uh, he, he just has so much knowledge and, and he's such a hard worker. That's what always stands out to me with Sean. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I didn't know him until probably 10, 12 years ago. Uh, just, just happened to catch a ride with him to the Bay area for a game one time, you know, and then I got to know him and, uh, you know, just a delightful guy. And as you said, I, I, I'm just really impressed with his knowledge of the game. You know, he, he's like yourself. I mean, he really, he really puts his, uh, life in it and time in it, you know, and I used to, I don't anymore. I, <laughs> I, I, I consider myself a, a very interested fan at this point. You know, Jerry, um, do you ever drive to the Bay Area by yourself? Because I know that I was your personal chauffeur like multiple times. You know, we had the the one rainstorm where we were in the Suburban and it was like a giant oh. sled. Um, yeah, we were like a flying down the road in a, in a giant heavy sled. Um, but do you ever drive down to the Bay Area by yourself? Because it seems like Jerry likes someone else to drive. Oh, I, I, I hate the Bay Area, by the way. First of all, I don't like anything <laughs> about San Francisco or, or Los Angeles. Well, like Los Angeles is better than San Francisco. But anyway, yeah, my wife and I would go down there when, when it was a back-to-back games, you know, if, every, occasionally, and, and they'd put us up in a hotel and so she could shop or whatever. And so so we'd do – that's the only way I'd do it is go down in the mornings, you know, and, and then stay uh, – a night or something like that but as far as just down and back by myself hell no yeah i miss our stops at wendy's on the way home we always stop yeah. at wendy's yeah yeah that's good stuff. yeah that was a nice little break 
All right. Well, let's dive into this. Uh, the Kings are two and two, and we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the Kings as far as like what's happening today, but, but more cursory stuff there. I, I kind of want to know the bigger picture stuff, but what are your early impressions? Two and two is, is fine. And actually, when you look at the the schedule, it's actually really good because that was a tough four game stretch. Um, but what stands out to you so far that you're liking or that you're not liking? Well, as you said, I, I think the fact they're two and two against playoff teams. Uh, you know, some of the you know obviously the two teams with the best record in the West last year: the Utah, which they lost to, and of course Phoenix, which they won. And then of course the other two teams were playoff teams: Portland and the Golden State. So it's I, I think it's terrific they're doing too i mean you can always say well they should have won this game and not that one who, who knows who cares or two and two uh <laughs> so it's, so that's a that's an excellent start considering this schedule you know what i really liked and I, I said this some time ago on a podcast I, I i think this is the most talented team i've seen in sacramento since rick adelman's last last year which was of course a playoff team with uh, Ron Artest and Bonzi Wells and, and Sharif Abdurrahim and Kevin Martin and those guys. Uh, but but I, I think this team is far more talented, not far more, but clearly more talented than Dave Yeager's last team that won 39 games. Uh, so, so I like that part. Uh, obviously, what really went well, uh, you know, uh, Harrison Barnes. I mean, he's playing, he truly is playing like an all-star. And I was telling somebody else this other day, and I, you know, got a little bit, I, I don't think it's controversial because I think it's true. I've seen every small forward play in Sacramento in the history. And, and you know, and I always said that Paige Stojakovic was probably the best. Ron Artest was second. Maybe Eddie Johnson from the early days was the third best. And, and really, Harrison's playing better than any of them. He's playing better right now than any of them. Now, that doesn't mean he'll have he'll be able to maintain it for the whole year. But the, the rate of his game right now, he's the best small forward in Sacramento Kings history. Now, that is a crazy statement. I mean, of course, you know, uh, Lionel Simmons was a solid small forward, but he never really yeah. reached the plateau of those other guys. Uh, yeah, you know, he would have. He, he yeah, those guys, I think Lionel in particular, I had him fourth because – and he would have been higher had he not been injured because he just was kind of getting into his game – uh, you know, a runner-up rookie of the year, and, and and the numbers were there. And a great defender, you know, great defender, rebounder. But, you know, you look at Harrison's play through four games, and, I, and I'm not hedging on this. It's four games. Yeah. You know, you look into 30 games and say, well, he's moved down to 12, uh, or he's staying at number <laughs> one, you know. So that's the way the game is. But, I mean, he's playing extremely well. He certainly – last year he probably had the best year of his career – and this year is way better. And I, I, I'll just be surprised if he doesn't have his best year. You know, Jerry, this is his 10th season. And one of the main questions I had, which is more of a, a like a evergreen question for him. And it like, how have you ever seen a player who gets to year nine and all of a sudden has like an epiphany moment, like what Harrison has had, where he just like, it's not just one aspect of his game that's clicking all of a sudden he's a much better passer. All of a sudden he's a much better rebounder, you know, and then once that happened, you know, the three point shots start falling. And then we start to see him become like a big time scorer. I was shocked, you know, for a guy who averaged 20 a game uh, for the Dallas Mavericks, 
his career high was only 34. And so that shows you, number one, he was really consistent that year, uh, but also that he's never had that breakout game until, you know, the first game of the season when he had his career high against the Portland Trailblazers. But I don't remember a player. I mean, of course, this is what a player's prime should be right about this time. Um, But a guy that comes in the league and who's a good player, a good player. And then all of a sudden you just see it all come together. And to me, it's just kind of jarring that it's this late in his career. Yeah, I think that's very rare. I agree. I'm sure there are some cases we could come up with. Uh, You know, we've seen guys really be good players that, that after three or four or five years become greats like Steph Curry and Steve Nash come to mind mm-hmm. that uh, certainly early in their career, there was nothing to indicate greatness, uh, but uh, true greatness was they are and, and have proven. So that happens. Uh, then you see guys that maybe into their fourth or fifth year uh, go from being looks like really surprise players to all-stars like a Middleton at uh, Milwaukee you know, come, you know, that, that, that takes a while, but, but, uh, but to your point, I, I think it is rare where a guy who's been good all mm-hmm. along for the most part, uh, all, takes it up a, a, a real notch like he is now. And, and, and he did last year to a degree, but he went up another notch this year so far. So I, I, I think it is just a case in my mind, it, it, the talent in, it hasn't changed. I think his aggressiveness and confidence uh, maybe have to give Luke Walton some credit there, you know, really encouraging him to shoot more, look for a shot more. I, th- I think if I've always thought Harrison, if, if there was kind of a, you know, weakness or a flaw is he, he uh, kind of sold out a little bit on his own ability. He, he would fit into a fault. You know, he would basically, uh, you know, try to fit in with and, and, you know, kind of, work with guys who aren't as good as he is to, to, to help their games more than his own. And, and I think uh, to his credit, I think he's been in the league long enough. He's saying, you know, Hey, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. And, uh, and, and to coach Walton's credit, they're letting encouraging him and putting him in positions where he can be effective, you know, letting him use his post game, letting him play some forward, letting him play, you know, you know, get the whole Harrison Barnes experience, so to speak. <laughs> You know, it's funny, um, like Kings fans, you know, Jerry, you're, you're speaking blasphemy here. You're not allowed to give Luke Walton credit for anything. I know that's not how this goes, Jerry, that I I just want to point that out. You're, you're, you're giving, uh, you know, I I don't, I don't know why Luke is, uh, the poster child for, uh, the, the fans vitriol, uh, at some, you know, quite, quite often he is, I mean, even in the first three games, uh, you four games you're hearing it you know the Kings get off to a slow start against the Suns and the fans are just berating Luke Walton on Twitter for just how bad a coach he is I just uh, I, I always want to point out that De'Aaron Fox is is like taking leaps and bounds every year in his career under Luke Walton uh, maybe that would have happened either way um, but that's just it we have no idea uh, he also is a guy that basically discovered that Rashawn Holmes is a starting level center and, uh, you know, has basically found Rashawn Holmes, which to me was like it was a bold move to bench a thirty nine million dollar free agent signing for a guy that you paid five million dollars a year. Um, and that was Luke. And 
Um, last season, I remember Tyrese Halliburton playing 30 minutes a game and playing all the way down the stretch in the fourth quarter in like the first week of the season. Again, that was Luke Walton showing faith in a young player where a lot of other coaches might not have. Um, so I would like to see him with the depth that you talked about uh, and a full training camp and everything else and see what he has. Uh, and then let's, let's make a judgment on Luke at the end of this season, because I mean, he might not be the answer, but he certainly could be the answer at least for another couple of seasons to see how this thing plays out. And uh, I, I would like to see at least the fans pull back a little bit and just give someone a, a chance to succeed where like, I don't think, there's any way we can pull back that on a guy like Marvin Bagley. It's, it's kind of like the damage has been done. Uh, but what are you like overall thoughts on Luke? I mean, I know it's been up and down and, and I know you're not someone who likes to hear things like, you know, we went to India or, you know, all the things oh. that have happened. Um, but what are your thoughts on Luke? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm getting back to your point on that. I think we too much, too, too many excuses are being made over the years. You know, the, they went to India. Oh yeah. Well, Indi Indiana did too and won 50 games and traveled 2,500 miles further. Uh, uh, COVID it's like, well, really, uh, was that just, just the Kings that had to deal with COVID? Uh, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and, and this year I've even heard, well, they only had four preseason games. Well, how many did everybody else play? Yeah. And, and what is, and what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a believer that, that, uh, you know, kind of the Jerry Sloan method, if you're going to, you know, winners don't make excuses and losers look for them. Uh, and I think that has to stop right off the bat, yeah. you know, don't, and, and I, and I don't hear coach Walton using that, by the way, that's, that's others, you know, more the media than anything. Uh, but uh, uh, to, to, to the thing about Luke and I, I'd be, you know, and I think he deserves criticism. Uh, but if you're going to criticize him for things, then at some point you got to give him credit for some things. You can't have it both ways. I always say it's just like officials, you know, as fans, every time you, you lose, you blame the officials. When you win, you don't uh, credit the officials. Uh, so if you're, if you're not going to credit them when you win, don't blame them all the time when you lose. When you, lose. Uh, uh, you know, because as most people who watch this game understand, they miss calls. They miss calls because it's an impossible game to call hundred uh, percent accurate. And sometimes it works for you. And sometimes it works against you. That's all there is to that. And the best teams, as we've talked many times, uh, the best teams, surprisingly, I found that over the years seem to win the most games. It's a, it's a, a just a remarkable thing with an 82 game schedule. It'll always work out that way. Uh, but it's I think science. Luke is the, so, yeah, I think it's science, I, Jerry. <laughs> I, I do think uh, I think Luke has done a lot of things well. I think the uh, decision not to go with Marvin Bagley as your starter right off, uh, you know, it, I'm not attacking. I don't mean to attack Marvin, but the truth was uh, Luke felt the team could play better with with a different rotation. Well, it's turned out to be correct. So you got to give him credit there. Uh, certainly, he, he he's made it clear early on that he wanted to make, you know, Harrison to be, be more aggressive. And it certainly turned out, uh, you know, as you pointed out, I mean, going with Rashawn Holmes when, when, you know, Rashawn would have beaten out dead eventually anyway, I think, you know, whether Luke was, was call, uh, uh, coaching or you were coaching, that would have happened because, <laughs> but he, he, he did do it. And that's the point. And Rashawn is, 
along with Harrison is the second most valuable player on this team right now, because, you know, he is the best center in the league for guarding wing players and wing players are what wins in this league. And most big centers can't guard them. <laughs> and, and I think that is the one thing that everybody wants to focus on. Well, he's not very big and he doesn't block enough shot, blah, 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 blah. Well, he guards wings and, can, and when he switches out on them and, it's, and he can be tough on them to where some of these guys that are supposed to be better than him have no shot guarding a wing off the dribble. None, zero. So anyway, so I, I got off the topic here, but I, I, I do, I think, uh, you know, you can't criticize. I think it's very difficult to criticize Luke fairly for the job he's done so far. You can always say, well, geez, that lineup he had in with six minutes to go in the third quarter, they should have had, you know, Donovan Mitchell instead of Terrence. Well, you can always play the, the, the whatever game. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and, that, and that's just really making yourself foolish at that point. I mean, uh, because, yeah, you can always say, well, yeah, geez, if he'd had somebody else instead of the guy who missed four shots, maybe he'd have made some. Well, of course, uh, you know, you, you know, maybe you could have said they shouldn't have had Harrison in there at the end the other night, but you wouldn't have had as much success, would you? So I don't know. I, I just I think based on what we've seen, he's he's done very well. It yeah. mean it doesn't mean he's going to. And if he ends up winning 35 games, I will say he's done a very poor job. That, that's what I would say. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same approach. Like, like it's gotta be more than 35 because you know, the two years in a row, the Kings won 31 games, but it's a pro rated 31 because there's only 72. So it actually prorates to 35. Yeah. So if you can't show improvement with an improved roster, then I don't know. I mean, that's, it really is the deciding factor. Now I'm not saying, you got to make the, you got to be in the playoffs because the playoffs could be, it could go back to, you know, 48 wins for a playoff spot or something. Yeah. And, I, and taking a, a jump of 13 games is almost unfathomable in, in the NBA. Um, but I, I still think like we need to, we need to wait and see. And you spoke on uh, this being the deepest team um, since Adelman era. I certainly believe that it's it's either the deepest or one of the deepest. There's one other season when, um, you know, when they tried to put a bunch of pieces around Cousins with Rudy Gay and um, and I think what Darren Collison they they brought in uh, Matt Barnes and Omri Caspi. It like just that team had had overall depth, and then they fell apart so quickly, and then the injuries hit, and the you know by midseason they traded Cousins, and that whole thing got blown up. Um, which rightfully so, I mean, I, I, but that team at least looked like they had, you know, really solid depth of veteran players at every position coming into the season. And then, you know, Jerry last season, this team had no depth and I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely no depth. And I I thought that, you know, we could make excuses all day long about, you know, trips or about COVID or anything else. I just thought they weren't good enough. You know, you know, the roster, yeah, the roster just, uh, you know, the, no depth at all. The bench was terrible. The bench yeah. was terrible. And, uh, you know, I know everybody, including myself, would wanted Monty to make three or four super moves. Uh, he, But every move he made was solid. And, yeah. and, you know, by the middle of the year, he really did improve the bench. Uh, and so by the end of the year, the bench was much better. The team was a little tiny bit better. And then, of course, 
uh, since that time, it, it, the bench has been improved a little bit more. And yeah. so, like you say, I mean, at some point, okay, this is, you know, you got to talk about what you know or what you see. And the bottom line is, yeah, I, I wish they had three all-stars and they traded for in the off season. Uh, but, but certainly that wasn't likely. And he had, I know we had a really good trade that the, the Lakers should have made. They screwed themselves up, which I'm very happy about, mm-hmm. but I'm unhappy because if the Kings had made that trade and, and, and buddy certainly is a good player and proven it, but I mean, Montrez Harold and Kuzma would have really made this team. I think a, a legitimate shot at an eighth spot. Uh, but that's on the Lakers. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, you know, I mean, all I'm saying is that from everything everybody said that and nobody's denying that trade was there and set to go and credit to Monte. I thought he would, would have, was going to pull the trigger on a real good one. Well, he can't pull it if the other team doesn't agree. Uh, but certainly his picking up the guys he has, Alex Lynn, uh, you know, I think it's a nice fit more so than Tristan Thompson, I think with Rashawn you know, because he can stretch the floor a little bit. And he's, mm-hmm. he's a, he's just a different type of player. He's a big, long guy uh, with a little toughness that the Kings just simply didn't have last year and uh, needed. And I think that'll help. So, and of course the draft picks, I mean, Halliburton was a home run last year. And, and mm-hmm. I think Davion is, is, I don't know if it's a home run, but he's, of course, he's really good. And uh, he's going to have a nice career. Uh, you know, I've tried to watch all the rookies and he's better than several that were picked in front of him so far, which isn't surprising because he's older and more mature and more ready. Yes. Uh, I was going to tell you, I've already decided the best rookie in this group, by the way. Oh, what do you got? Scotty, Scotty Barnes. Scotty oh. Barnes is, 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 I'll tell you what, he is a, almost potentially the next Scotty Pippen. He is I love caliber. Him. I loved him in the draft and uh, like, he's the guy that I was hopeful that the Kings, because, you know, like everyone talks about Ben Simmons, he's, he's kind of like Ben Simmons, but with a gigantic bark, you know, he's a, he's a guy with a, who's a leader. He, he basically like, he's a more vocal, but like that physical player of Davion just in a six foot nine, you know, power (laughs) forward, small forward frame. So yeah, I I loved him coming into the draft. Yeah, I mean he I I liked him. I didn't know he's quite this good, but just watching him, uh, you know, in in the league, and I've made a point to watch him. I now he's I can't imagine. And here again, and you know, Kate Cunningham hadn't even had a chance to play. Yeah, yet. But but I I'd, I'd be really surprised if Kate is you know is as good as this guy because he's uh, more lively, more athletic. Uh, you know, probably not the shooter, but like I say, uh, looks like a potential, you know, top 10 guy in the league period in within three or four years, you know, and, yeah. and that's, and, and I, with the rest of the rookies, I mean, you just haven't seen that. I mean, Suggs has struggled. Uh, uh, J- Jalen Green scores one night and can't score the next, Yep. but, but basically he's a chucker right now yeah. and, uh, <laughs> that team, that's the whole team of chuckers whole yeah. team of chuckers and yeah. they got a you know the classic though and i was telling i talked my son this morning on his way to work we're talking about john wall and i said here it is they're paying this guy 45 million dollars a year and and you know and they're not saying that not playing because they want to develop these rookies or young guys i said those young guys aren't that good yeah but they 
really, I mean, it's like, okay, if I'm paying somebody $45 million a year and I want to trade him, I'd get his butt out there and, and where he could at least help out. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it helps his trade value, not that he had any, uh, to not play. You know, I would be you, concerned with him too, because he's not a, he's a guy who likes the nightlife and that stuff. And if you're not actively engaging him uh, and, and having him, you know, out there doing something, uh, you know, you just worry like the idle hands thing, you know, plus, you know, if they stretch provision him, you just can't do it because he's owed, I think 50 next year. Yeah. So you were looking at like, you'd stretch it over five years, but 90, 95 million over five years that's oh. still you know almost well, 20 million a year just off your salary cap that you can't yeah. use yeah that's- to do nothing for you mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's uh it's ridiculous i mean i i really i i don't know how you can handle it worse and i mean and if john and john you know if he thinks he can play and is a player he played last year i mean he yeah. was a, he was okay he wasn't john wall of five years ago but uh, he's better. He was better last year than either one of their starting guards are this year, and 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 my guess will be if they played him, that doesn't mean and that doesn't mean you don't try to develop those. But I don't know how you develop guys who really haven't earned the minutes and aren't good enough. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I still I still think that's a, that's a flaw. You know, it's like well, Jalen Green I think can be terrific, but I'm not sure giving him 35 minutes and just letting him chuck chuck it up is uh, necessarily going to work either. Well, I think their goal there in Houston might be to be really bad and collect another top five pick uh, next yeah. year and, and build that way. And I mean, I guess it's at a certain point, that's the league. You, you can't fault a team for, for playing within the rules of the league, which is to be bad because half the teams uh, want to be good and half the teams want to be bad. And then there's this little belly in the middle of teams that can't figure out if they're good or bad. And most of the time they figure it out too late. And so they, re- they remain bad by getting mediocre or, picks. Or, or like I would like to point out, or you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you build your team around a second round pick, Middleton, and a, a 16th pick, Dedekupo. That's true. And you win a championship. No, that's you very know, true. I mean, I mean, I, I always say, I mean, the idea of the trust the process stuff, there's, there's very little proof that that ever works or ever has. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, okay. So, so Jerry, what we're seeing right now, um, you've been around the game for, for so long and you know what we're seeing the Kings, like all we talked about in, in coming the buildup to the season is three guard sets. I really like their five guards that they can rotate. I think they've got different skill sets on every single player at, you know, Again, I think you've got the microwave and Terrence Davis, who just hasn't hit shots yet, but you have the three-point chucker in Buddy Heald. You have the jack-of-all-trades in, um, in Halliburton. You have the defensive specialist in, in Davion. And then you really have the speedster, like the, the scoring machine, uh, once, uh, once we see De'Aaron Fox pick back up. But you've been around the – how crazy is it that when you look at the Kings, they're like – one of seven teams that are going with three guard sets half the game. And that's where the league is going. It just keeps getting smaller. It keeps getting quicker. Um, And, you know, from where you started with the league, where if you didn't have, you know, two seven foot something guys on your, on your roster, you were in trouble. And if you didn't have like a power forward who weighed 250, 260, that could beat everyone up, 
you know, you were in trouble. So like, what are your thoughts on sort of the way that the game keeps uh, sort of morphing and changing into what we're seeing right now? Well, of course, it's, it's a totally, it is a totally different game. You know, when I came to the league, it was obviously uh, played inside out. Uh, you know, yep. now it's outside in. Number one of the three-point shot uh, has done that, which makes, uh, you know, deep shooters and, and more guards more valuable. And, of course, the physicality of the game. You know, as, as great as a guy like Trey Young or Steph Curry are, it would have been way tougher for them in 85, I can tell you, because uh, they, they, would have, they would have been hand, – hands would have been put on them. Yeah. And the elbows would have been put on. Now, that's just the way it was. That doesn't mean uh, they wouldn't have adjusted and, and found a way to be good. But I'm not sure greatness would have been as easy to attain for small uh, guards. Uh, so it's, it's like I say, it's a different game. I, I like the game. Now, what I don't like is the sameness of it. Every team almost in the league plays the same way. Uh, you know, it's basically let's run in transition to get an open three. If we don't, let's uh, get into a high screen and roll or a draw and kick and uh, look for three-point shooters in the corners. And, and pretty much everybody but the center and has to be able to shoot threes if they're on the floor. And even he, we'd like for him to be able to. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that is, you know, that is, it's a different game. But like I say, the physicality is definitely different. The rule changes have, for the most part, until just this year, have all benefited offense. Uh, this year, going back to the where, you know, offensive players can't give a head fake and jump into defenders who are just minding their own business. Uh, I mean, I love that. It's been a long time coming. But, uh, but I mean, so I think the league saw the necessity of, of come on, kind of like football at some point, you've got to give uh, a defensive uh, – you know, safeties and cornerbacks a chance. Yeah. To go. <laughs> but it's so it's a different game. Like I say, and, and the biggest thing, it's it's an outside in game. And uh, you don't really want to uh, go inside to get an easy two as like you should. Uh, although having said that, I think the, the Bucks and the Suns in the last year's final showed it, you know, just like the Warriors have done for years when they were great. I, I thought that one of the things they did so well that people never give them credit for. <clears throat> they talked about the three-point shooting. They were great moving without the ball, cutters, getting to the basket for layups, shooting the mid-range shot. Basically, they were looking for good, easy shots. And if you're Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry, they'll take those shots wherever they are. And they're all easy shots if they're open for them guys. Yeah. And, you know, I think like Davion learned the hard way that, that like you can be a great defender and then it doesn't matter who, who or what you are when Steph Curry comes to town. I mean, he did a good job on, on most of his possessions, um, but trying to track a guy like that, you know, it like the only guy that ever moved without the ball like him that I can remember like Steph is, uh, you know, Reggie Miller did it. Rip Hamilton did it. But yeah. like what he's able to do, the way that he just keeps popping up is just wild. And I like I think that that was super eye opening. I, I like to see what Davion's having to go through here. You know, even if you look at the first four games, you know, you start with with Damian and uh, and CJ and then you got to play against Donovan Mitchell and you got to play against Jordan Clarkson, who's really become you know, an excellent score. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And, and then, you know, game three, what is game three? I, 
Um, I'm drawn up. Oh, it's the Warriors. You're playing against not just Steph, but, you know, Jordan Poole has improved as a player. He's gotten much better. So, uh, and, and then you top it off like, hey, let's throw you out against Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker. So I think he's getting a taste for all of the different looks and just how teams can so quickly, you know, get you caught in a switch and, and just neutralize your skill as a defender by having you go guard someone that is either way bigger than you or who's not going to be part of the, the, the offensive scheme. You know, I think uh, what we saw in, you know, the final seconds of, of the Phoenix game where they both teams were just so good at getting the isolation on the player that they want. And I'll start with, you know, Buddy Hield's defensive play on the, on Devin Booker uh, that, that basically led to the uh, Rashawn Holmes rebound. Um, that play was very specifically designed to get the switch on with Booker on Buddy Hield. I just think Chris Paul, who's, you know, a legend and will be a first ballot hall of famer. He took too much time to get into the set and didn't leave Booker enough time. Um, but to me, like we saw that. And then again, when we came down to the other end, uh, when Harrison got his shot, same thing, the Kings worked really hard. They made some, uh, some nice little adjustments on the court before in the five seconds before the inbounds happened to get Barnes on Booker. So he could shoot over the top of him as opposed to the other players. So I, I really thought like the game planning and sort of the coaching in those final moments, was really on par from both coaches. And that's good to see. And we're seeing to me that the last, there are a lot of mistakes made, but the last 30 seconds of a game when, when the game was decided, I thought it was chess. I didn't think it was checkers. And I, and to me, that's, that's a good sign for, for both the Suns and the Kings that that early in the season, we're seeing some like pretty high level stuff on the court. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And as you pointed out, I think it was Davion and I, of course, I've been a big fan of his right along because uh, I always said, you know, before the draft, I, he was a guy I would have taken. You know, we talked about it on the Kings Herald. And of course, a lot of the people thought I was senile, uh, but, uh, <laughs> which may be true. But, uh, but I said, the thing about him is uh, he can stay in front of you and you can't stay in front of him. And that translates to the NBA. Now, the problem with it, as we'll, we've seen, is the NBA is well coached and, and scouted. And they know right now that you need to screen Davion Mitchell. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's certain guys, certain guards in the league that really don't like to use screens and want to play with the with the dribble all the time. I mean, Lillard's one, as opposed to a Curry who can play any way you want to play. Yep. And uh, but but if you if you want to go against Davion uh, head up one on one isolated, it's going to be a long night. But if, but I'm. I'm like yourself. It's like, okay, we know Davion's great there, but so if he's on you, we're going to screen his little butt maybe a couple of times yep. to get him off and, and get, and get it mismatches a couple spots. And that's what we're going to see as we go forward. And that's, that's, that's to his credit. Not, not a, in other words, that teams already, I think uh, are starting to scout for him, uh, which is a pretty remarkable uh, early for a rookie uh, to, to have a little bit of an impact in the scouting uh, this early in his career. I, I agree. The game plan is going to include how to, how to get away from Davion. And to me, that's, that's really interesting. I also like to see, 
his development. Um, you know, like he did this in summer league where first couple of games he didn't score. And then all of a sudden he just pops off like what he did against golden state where he drops 22 and then you, you see him like, okay, look, I showed everybody I can score. Now I'm going to show everybody I can pass. So in the next game, I think he had four assists, but realistically, uh, you know, he wasn't a huge part of the game plan because other guys got hot in that game. And, and Luke kind of went with the hot hands of, uh, that, that he was, uh, you know, late in the game. So Davion didn't play. I think he played 22 minutes in the second game, but still four assists in 22 minutes shows you that he can, he can do a lot of different things. And I think we're going to see him show little bits of himself here and there. And then by year two, we're going to really see the whole package that he has, you know, the, the versatility that he is. And I still like, I don't think he'll be a guy who ever averages over, you know, 13 or 14 points a, a game in a season. And even that might be a stretch, but I think his impact on winning is something that's different. And I think it's, it kind of goes with the same thing with Scotty Barnes. At some point, if you're the Kings uh, or if you're a team that's starting over like Toronto, you really do need to value, you know, not points, not rebounds, not you need to value the one thing that matters the most and a guy's impact on winning. And I think this is the one of the few times that I've seen the Kings actually choose an impact on winning, uh, you know, more of a finished product than taking a flyer and hope that he becomes a superstar, which he never does. Um, so, you know, like I think Fox has a chance to still be a, a, a star. And I think Halliburton was, is a guy that, you know, has a bunch of tools and he was really the last guy. He was a guy on the board that you couldn't pass on. Uh, but Davion is a guy that there were other players there that they could have chosen that might be statistically better players uh, for their careers. But I just don't think they'll have the same impact on winning that he does. Well, he brought something to the team they didn't have. And I mm -hmm. thought that was really on Monty's to his credit. I mean, in other words, you, know, you had a lot of guys could do score or this or that. And then, you know, you maybe needed more wings, but, but he, he is a great defender on a team that was a poor defensive team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and, and so that has to be factored in. And I agree with you. See, I, I see Davion basically as a guy, he's going to have barring injuries, going to have a nice, long, valuable career. He may not be more than a, a role player even on, mm -hmm. on good teams, uh, you know, and that's what you'd like to have a 50 plus win team to where uh, maybe Davion's a, a sixth or seventh man. Now it's also, you know, and that doesn't mean he couldn't be a starter on a 50 win team, but, but, it, but, his, but his, like, I, I, I agree with you, his stats, he's never going to be a top scorer in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. I just don't think, you know, I don't think he's got the tools for that. He's, he's a nice little spot shooter. Uh, has limited ability to get to the basket and finish, uh, but he can help you win. That's and that goes to exactly what you said. He can help mm -hmm. you win. Uh, if, if he's not going to be the truck driver, but uh, you know he can he can ride along in the That's truck. Right. All right. So you are listening to the Kings Beat podcast uh, today. We have the incredible Jerry Reynolds on. Uh, make sure to subscribe and like. Uh, Give us a comment on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then, Jerry, we're doing something different this time around. I'm doing the business of basketball. And uh, I'm going to you know, pull out something for each of my guests to, to really like look at the, the game of basketball or, or your career in, in basketball slightly different. And you know, for Sean, he, he told uh, some crazy stories about getting an autograph from LeBron James an accidental autograph from LeBron James in his first game as a pro, um, which 
uh, is a great story. But for you, um, you just have such a wealth of knowledge. And so for the business of basketball, I want to ask you this time around, because we're going to do more of these. And, and I, I'm sure Jerry will be a, a, a guest that we bring back multiple times. But the draft process is, is a mystery for a lot of people on the outside. And you're someone who uh, has scouted the draft, who has looked at the draft, who has made draft picks yourself. Um, just when you're going through the draft process, uh, walk us through what maybe you're looking for when you start bringing in prospects for, for workouts or for dinners and stuff. What is it that, is there an ingredient that you're looking for that, that you hope stands out with each of these players? That's a great question. I mean, I, I think in general, I mean, if you're in the lottery, which obviously Kings have been over the years a lot, uh, you know, you're looking, you know, first of all, you're looking for a guy you think can be a star. Okay. And then to, to find that, I mean, there's a couple of things I think that, that a star has to have, you know, or potentially it doesn't mean you, you know, you can't know, but, and that's, uh, I think the most important thing is the God given things like height, uh, length, speed, quickness, all those things. You can't teach that, mm -hmm. you know, you can't teach that. Now you'd like for them to have all that uh, size for a position and all that, plus all the fundamental skills. Well, the fundamental skills you can teach. Doesn't mean they'll learn, but you can teach those. You can't teach the God-given. So I always say you got to put that at the top of the list and then look for the, the skills they do have. Are they translatable to the NBA? In other words, kind of like a Davion. Uh, well, is his skin, you know, his quickness and speed and strength, you know, uh, defensively, is that, will that translate to NBA? Yeah. You know, you pretty well thought that. Can he can he shoot well enough for his size? Yeah, it looks like he can, and he did. You know, a little quick spot shot. Uh, so anyway, you're looking for that, the things that translate, uh, as opposed to you know maybe guys that are six foot two shooting guards that that really need a lot of help getting shots or something like that. Well, that's probably not going to work unless he's he's you know great that sort of thing. And and I think another thing. I like to do or always did was kind of try to find a, a, you know, a player, you know, before that reminds you of him. I mean, in other words, try mm -hmm. to go to somebody, you say, I remember this guy in college uh, and he was a lot like this kid we're talking to here and looking at and focusing on and, and he did well, or he reminds me of this guy and he was an awfully good college player, but boy, he didn't do well. And, and then maybe the equally important, I think, is the psychological breakdowns. And there's different ways of doing it. But, uh, you know, the Kings for years, we did that. And I thought it was very accurate uh, in some ways. Uh, you know, you get an idea of, you know, it's kind of I always use Francisco Garcia as an example. Uh, you know, he's a late pick and a good, good player. But, mm -hmm. but I mean, the, the, the thing that was outstanding was his uh, psychological breakdown was fantastic. You know, and it was so accurate. You know, that he was a would be a great teammate, very coachable, would be a hard worker, would, you know, would basically try to fit in. Well, those were some of the things. And, and, and you know, that's what he was. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, he wasn't an all-star, uh, but it wasn't because it was because he wasn't good enough to be an all-star. <laughs> uh, that I mean, it wasn't because he didn't work hard enough or care enough or try 
try to fit in, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so he, he, you know, he had enough ability to fit in on pretty good teams and contribute, even though he was, a, you know, and had a nice, you know, a nice solid career for kind of where he's picked. Not that you could have picked a better guy, but you certainly could have picked a lot worse ones. <laughs> that sort of thing. And I, I think the psychological thing was good. Now, the negatives, I would say, when I first came to the league, you had so many better ways and time to evaluate people. You had two or three different camps, you know, where and they were seniors for the most yep. part, juniors and seniors, uh, seniors. And they and so you could see, you know, you could see Scottie Pippen play five or six games against people or Scott Skiles or Jeff Hornacek, you know, guys, uh, you know, that that. OK, you didn't know a lot about, especially like a Hornacek or a, or a Scotty Pippen, come, or Dan Marley coming from small schools. But they played in all these camps. And, and so but nowadays you wouldn't you wouldn't get that opportunity. And, and and especially now they're 18 or 19 and you don't get that opportunity with them other than maybe is your college career. That's about it. Yeah. Bring them in. You know, you bring them in and have them play a little three on three or do some shooting drills. Well, you know, come on, you can't, that that's, that that's the least of it. That's the very least of it. Now, when, when you get done with a prospect or with a group of prospects, what was the, the conversations like behind the scenes? Did you guys whiteboard it? Did you guys have conversations or was it just like, we move on to the next group and, you know, maybe we'll come back to this or maybe I'll mention to, Jeff or or someone else said, hey, I, I kind of like this about this player. What what was that process like the after after the initial workout after or even the initial dinner, whatever you guys do with each of these prospects? But what was that next step? Well, that's a great point. I mean, yeah, basically you'd, you'd uh, meet and uh, kind of go over, you know, and, and uh, of course, I do the same thing. I know Jeff was 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 exactly the same way where he'd go kind of around the room and get do everybody's opinion thoughts not just on that workout but what you thought before you know you d did your opinion change on this player uh, at any time or, or where do you see him uh how does he rank up against the five guys we've had in here before type stuff and so uh you do that and then of course on each time and then of course once you've had all your prospects in uh you know, then, then you really do have to start getting into the ranking. Okay. We're picking 12th and this, this is a guy we really wish would be there. And, then, and if he's not, uh, this is the guy. And you, you start kind of getting into that because you, you can't control uh, things at that point. I always remember the year the Kings took Spencer Hawes. Uh, honestly, I don't think anybody was particularly, you know, elated uh, <laughs> to get Spencer and, and not that he didn't, you know, he, wasn't a terrible pick, but uh, they, everybody wanted Joe Kim Noah, and and he fell right in front of him, <laughs> and you know, and and Noah, I think certainly for four or five years had much much better impact in games. So you know that's the way sometimes it goes that way, and uh, but I, I think the other thing is is too is you do kind of put a little bit on just the personality of the guy, you, you know, your eye test, you know, yeah. I mean, you take, you take guys out to eat or in my case, I, I like to pick them up at the airport and, and, and drive them around a little bit, you know, just get to visit. I, I always say that, you know, certain guys, 
really, really impress you. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly Curry was one of those guys, you know, smart. You know, you knew, you know, he'd find a, probably find a way. You didn't know he was going to be a superstar. Yeah. And then the other, the other guy, maybe the most impressive guy I ever was with, you know, well, there's two others. Uh, Drew Holiday was just terrific. And I mean, you know, you just, he wasn't quite ready as a player, but he was sure ready mentally, you yeah. know, and it took him a few years because he was younger. And then uh, Steve Nash was the all-timer, all-timer. Uh, you know, just, I mean, he knew more about the Kings team, I think, than most of our coaches did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he could tell you about each player. And and I always remember him being so concerned about Bobby Hurley because Bobby just, you know, went through his wreck and, and he was, because he was a Hurley fan. And then he said, is it going to be possible for him to come back? And I said, I really, I hope I'm wrong. I don't think so. I think his body was just torn up. And I, he said, wow. He said, I think he'd be really good. And I said, yeah, I think he would be too, uh, the way he can push the ball and all. But, you know, he, he never had a chance to, to develop. And, uh, but anyway, it's one of those things where I always remember that because he had, he had really insights. You know, I always say the only guy I can think of a, as a coach in the NBA that even came close was uh, Danny Ainge. And uh, D- Danny was one of those guys that was just – you know, really smart. And of course it's shown out over his playing career as well as his coaching and executive career. Yeah. I think there is value to guys that are tapped in. And I know guys now they play 2k, they play, you know, they play against other coming into the league or while they're in college um, they come into the league with some knowledge. Some players come in and they have no idea. They don't know who's on the team except for maybe, you know, Oh, De'Aaron Fox is here. So I know Fox is here. Uh, and then you have other guys like Halliburton who walks in and he kind of reminds me of what you're talking about. Some of these guys that like, if you were to get Ty in a car, like picking him up from the airport um, you might, you know, end up driving up to my neck of the woods, you know, Oh, sorry. I took a wrong turn. We end up in Tahoe. And so you get four hours in the car with him. So you, can, <laughs> you know, you're like, this is amazing conversation you know, almost like you wish that, that you were car casting with him, Jerry. We've, yeah. we've done that car cast. <laughs> we've, yes, we have. That's right. Yeah, no, and, you know, you point out, too, it's like, yeah, there's there's a lot of players, honestly, uh, they pick up and, you know, they didn't know Sacramento was in California. You know, <laughs> I won't tell you the guy's name, but we picked him up. And he said, oh, what's all these cars got California plates on? I said, well, you know, Sacramento's. <laughs> kind of in California in the capital. So I had a, I had a, I had a suspicion that wouldn't probably, you wouldn't want to count on him uh, making big decisions late in games, you know? Yeah, that, that's probably okay. So we went through your best. Um, who were your worst? Do you, do you have anyone that stands out that you're just like, man, like I, I, I was excited to get my hands on this guy and it just didn't work out. Like we had him in for an interview and it was like, Oh no, no, he, we're not drafting him. Well, that's a great question. Uh, of course, most of our, the real terrible drafts uh, were guys that we, you know, uh, Thomas Robinson comes to mind that we never had in. Oh yeah. You know, it's one of those deals that, you know, it's one of those, you know, the rumors were he'd be the second pick in the draft that year. And then all of a sudden he, he was sliding, you know, and, it's like, I'm not exactly sure 
how that turned so quick because I know the team was set on uh, Lillard, Damian Lillard. Yeah, that's what uh, I, my information was Damian Lillard. Yeah, no, that before. Was, and I think, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a good reminder that uh, if you know what you like and you like what you know, you probably ought to stay there. You know, yep. that's one of those lessons, uh, hard lessons to learn. And uh, but with Robinson, it's like, well, well, we needed not that we didn't. We needed another big that could play, certainly. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it's like, well, you know, he'd be hard to miss on this guy, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, pretty clear, you know, early first practice is like, oh, shit, uh, this he ain't 6'10", number one. He's about 6'8". Yeah. <laughs> and and he really probably not going to be very good <laughs> oh. <laughs> and and you know and the rest is history but yeah you know. he wasn't he wasn't very good i mean the kings had mm-hmm. a lot of players and you, you even brought up the spencer hawes draft that was uh well spencer was the 10th pick that was a nine-man draft but it was a 10-man draft until right before and Roy Hibbert pulled out of the draft, if I'm not mistaken. And then the next year he fell to like the twenties, but yeah. Roy Hibbert was supposed to go like number eight. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's, it wasn't Yi Jing Li was in that draft. Like there, there was a yeah, lot he, of hope. Yeah, yeah. He went like sixth or something. I think that, you know, the big Chinese he yeah. went fifth or sixth to Milwaukee, I think. Yeah. And, and so basically in that draft, it should have been, it should have been Joe Kim at number 10, but just the way that it worked out and the way that, uh, that um, Hibbert pulled out of the draft that year, it changed the complexities of everything and made things very awkward uh, for you guys, because you, you really had no choice, but to take Spencer, he was sort of the 11th best player in that draft and you needed a center and, and there was no yeah. other way around it. So, no, that's what I say. And, you know, and I'm, I always go back to the draft, you know, when, uh, because sometimes it works for you getting a uh, Hedo Turkaloo, I think at 16th or something like that. And, and that was a draft where he may have been the best player in that draft. Uh, you know, uh, basically uh, Michael Red was a second round pick in the draft and, and uh, there was somebody else, but I, I think all, all in all, I think, if you don't, I mean, other than maybe one or two guys, he, if you had that draft over, he would not be lower than third or fourth. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he was, and, and of course his career would prove that he was really good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, he had a lot he of was skill. A, a lot of skill and a valuable player and on a fin- NBA finalist. So that's pretty good right there. But anyway, so, you know, it's, uh, as everybody knows, it's such a, a crapshoot. I always remember the last year Petrie was working for the Kings. I mean, he was really high on the dead of Kumpo. And, uh, you know, had, had made special <laughs> trips because we talked about him a lot, you know, and he just said, yeah, the guy's not ready, but, he, you know, he's so special as an athlete, you yeah. know, that, you know, that be hard to miss and, and you know, and, and whether he would, uh, you know, where, where you could, if, you know, like his question was, well, if you're, that's <clears throat> before obviously everything changed, but Kings, whatever, pick the head seventh, eighth or whatever they were going to have. He said, can you take him that high? And I said, well, if you think he's that good, you certainly can take him that high. Yeah. Now, I mean, I always say that's the thing, you know, with the old deal. Well, you can't take him there. You got, you can trade down. And it's like, well, if you think he's really good, you better you better take him. Well, that you know? and I, that's the Ben McLemore draft. And, yeah. uh-huh. and, and to be honest with you, 
Um, you know, I've heard the Jeff Petrie dossier on uh, Giannis story, like behind the scenes multiple times that Jeff was really intrigued, but I'll also tell you in that draft, uh, Steven Adams was really, really intriguing when he came through. And I know that the Kings were in love with CJ McCollum and they brought CJ in for a third work. Well, third conversation, like on the Monday before the draft and CJ will tell you to this day that he thought he was going to be a Sacramento King, uh, that, you know, that that was every indication that he had that they were drafting him. And I think it's number eight. I think that was a number eight pick. And I think what Nerlens Noel went number seven, uh, and then Kings had some interest there, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just these little misses, right? Just the, oh, yeah. the, the calibration off just a smidge where you draft Jimmer instead of Clay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard six picks later. Yeah, same yeah. thing, you know, and I always remember Sharif Abdurrahim, which I think is could be a great general manager, uh, was really high on Kawhi and really pushed for him the whole, you yeah. know, I mean, he just said, this is, I think this is the guy, if he, is, if, if he gets so he can shoot better, he'll be a star. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Uh, he wasn't that great a shooter in college. So, you know, yeah, it is. A, it, it's such a, you know, a fine line on that kind of stuff. I mean, you're, it's, it's especially it's such a, a, you know, it's like the draft where Markel Fultz was number one. And oh, everybody, yeah. oh, yeah, he's the number one. Well, Dan, Danny Ainge, to his credit, knew, I think, after they had him in, that, no, he's not number one. I can, I can get the best player in the draft later, which he did, uh, Jason Tatum at three. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, you talk about the Nerlens Noel thing. I always said that was the, another one of the fallacies of trust the process. You know, they traded Drew Holiday to get to get the pick for Nerlens Noel. Now that you talk about slowing down your development, that'll do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you probably could have trusted the process since I think uh, Drew was even, wasn't he an all-star? And they He got- was an all-star that very year. Yeah, that yeah. that uh, as a young player, he was an all star, and you he thought, just, well, maybe he's an all star and not a very good, uh, not a very strong Eastern Conference. It doesn't matter; he is an all star. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, when you trade all stars for somebody, you say, oh, well, this guy will be a, this guy will be an all star, and you know, we hear that all the time. Oh, yeah. this guy can't can't miss. This guy can't miss, and they miss. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. I mean, so, I'll always say, you know, I got, you know, and then the classic though still is is uh, uh, Nikola Jokic, you know. I mean, oh, second round, that that's MVP, and I mean, uh, who would who saw that coming? I, no one saw that coming. You know, like uh, like the Kings draft guys like Papa Giannis, hoping that something like that would happen. Uh, right, but but like something like that just like it doesn't make any sense that a guy that good but it's not the first time you know there no. are hall of famers that uh that went in the second round and you know sure. guys you know even i think there's an undrafted player that's made it to the hall and so yeah it's yeah. a crapshoot you know it is yeah yeah you know ben wallace i think was the undrafted guy I yeah talk about. yeah that's made it but uh i always said as bad as screwed up as uh the the NBA drafts and the mistakes they make compared to football, they're geniuses. Yes. Uh, you know, when a Tom, a Tom Brady goes in the sixth round and Joe Montana in the third round and Brett Favre in the second round and, and, and uh, Warner and, and Unite, Uninus undrafted, you know, you're, and, uh, and Aaron Rodgers late first round, uh, Pat Mahomes late first round. I mean, it's, 
the most important position in the sport, they miss consistently. Yeah. And they, you know, like they miss with guys that aren't even, that don't even ever show up again, you know, like guys that fall off so quickly guys that are, you know, the number two pick in the draft, number three, number four that are out of the league in three years, defensive linemen that just never figure it out. Yeah. It's just really bizarre. All right. So Jerry, I I thank you so much for coming on the business of basketball. I I like it. I like the segment. I think it gives us uh, an opportunity, right. To delve into something that normally we wouldn't talk about. Oh, I think it's very interesting. I mean, uh, probably in my case, I, I got off the topic and just r- rambled. But other than that, <laughs> it was fun for me. I don't know if I provided any information, but, uh, you know, hey, that's when you're 77, you get to do that. That's right. And, and you know what? All you did, Jerry, is you made like a, a huge portion of the Kings fan base weep openly because Giannis Antetokounmpo should have been a Sacramento King. So they're all going to listen to the pod and just like, have it further confirmed uh, that the Kings missed. And so, you know, you'll have a lot of people who are sobbing openly today while listening to the podcast. I, I do it on a regular basis myself. So don't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, well, you it's know, the so. mark. It's the mark of a good podcast, Jerry, that we made yeah, people cry. <laughs> yeah. We made people cry, but uh, okay. Hey, that, that doesn't mean things can't change. And I like to say, if Harrison Barnes keeps playing like he's playing, I'll be a happy camper all year long. That's right. Uh, I, I think there's a chance. We're saying there's a chance. That's what we're saying. We're All saying right. that. That's right. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Kings Beat podcast. Make sure to give us a, a like and a comment and, and all that stuff on iTunes or wherever you listen to the pod. Also, make sure you hit my Twitter feed or my Twitter bio. Go to uh, the Kings Beat by uh, with James Ham and uh, give us a subscription. Like, let's let's do this thing. We're going to have a really fun season of coverage. We're going to cover mostly all the beat stuff from Twitter because I know you don't want to kick click on game uh, recaps and, and stuff like that, but you're going to get long form. You're going to get these amazing podcasts dropped right into your inbox. And uh, so a lot of good stuff happening. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much for coming on. It's always great to have a conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, obviously you'll do well on this like you do well on everything. And uh, really any Kings fan ought to, uh, ought to be involved in this podcast and uh, you'll get a lot of good information. So thanks for having me and hope we can do it again sometime. All right. The amazing Jerry Reynolds. Thanks for tuning in to the Kings Beat podcast. We'll see you next week.